Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. If you're interested in really being able to rifle through a bunch of different tire information and you want that at your fingertips, well, send a, well, you don't have to send an email to anybody. Just go to uh, axontiretips.com and they will send you a free Axon Tire resource mouse pad. Not one, but two. So if you're, you have two offices, if you're ambidextrous, or if you just like to carry one in your backpack or your uh, briefcase. I don't know, people still wear, use briefcases, Sean? Uh, not much. I haven't seen one for a while. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, they, they launder money differently nowadays. Yeah, so if you're 95 <laughs> and you're still using a briefcase, throw one in there. You'll like that. All right, so check that out go to axontiretips.com fill out the form at the bottom and they'll send you those mouse pads in the mail make sure you tell them the moving iron podcast sent you valid transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years call parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at valid transportation our goal is to help you reach yours and no matter how you buy your ag equipment whether it's from a dealer an auction or a private party ag direct can help you finance it you can even apply online at agdirect.com learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com and finally, TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion worth of heavy equipment machinery sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is an industry's trusted solution for transparent heavy equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on the podcast a couple times a week to talk about what's happening. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good, Casey. Pretty good. That's good. Well, you know, you kind of, we talked about it um, last week. Thursday when you were on and we were talking about you know this back half of July and what we're seeing there and it's still hot right now but man the market is is um, really struggling to to keep the interday gains that they're making so like for example um, previous two days um, Friday and Monday this week um, you saw and Tuesday this week you saw well Monday Friday Monday you saw some downward pressure. Tuesday, you saw a, a bit of a rally back, but by the end of the day, they'd closed off, I think, two or three cents off the high, and they were struggling to keep that in there in corn. And, you know, crude oil is the same way. Um, a lot of these commodities are all kind of falling in that same spectrum that you talked about there, Sean. So I guess as you're looking at that, kind of this this new normal that we're seeing right now, what are your thoughts there and what are you seeing? The market just cannot uh, 
shake off the recession fears the way I'm seeing it. You know, the strong dollar, the lower liquidity from the Fed, the increased interest rates, it just can't fight off the idea that, you know, this economy is slowing and that the demand potentially could, you know, be much worse later on in the year, not only here, but globally. And so I think that what's, we, we were a market where every correction was bought because of inflation to now every rally is being sold by the, because the market is worried about uh, the demand being an issue. Even if supply is constricted, we actually might have more supply available than we think when we get later on in the year. Now, doesn't mean they're right about that, but that's how they're trading the market right now. I mean, we have to accept what the market is doing, not what we think it should do. You know, I think a huge error that many in commodity forecasting or in farming or they, they try to put impose their will on the market and the market's going to pay attention to whatever it wants to, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not. So right now the market is very much like you just said, it's hard to hold rallies. Every rally is sold. It's quick, it's quick to fall, struggles to rise until we either shake off this, uh, whether this um, uh, recessionary fear or we get some weather volatility that overrides those fears and makes people focus on supply again. Uh, and the third thing, obviously, is if the Fed were to pivot for some reason, you know, they see something you know, much worse and they say, all right, we're done raising rates, we're, we were, you know, we're on hold, or we might think about, you know, shifting gears. I mean, we need, you would just, you need to get something for the market to focus on other than what they are right now, which is this economy is heading to recession, there's no one in sight, and we're worried about future demand. And I think that's where we're at. And prices historically for most commodities are very high, Casey, as you know, and so people are nervous that uh, you know, this is not a time to be uh, widely bullish the overall commodity complex and the, agri- and the agriculture complex at this moment in time. So, Right on. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, I read an article this morning talking about the 4th of July cookout is going to cost about $10 more than, than, than it did last year. And talking about it being up about 17% um, year over year and you know there's a million different things that go into that they're using like potato salad and obviously hamburgers and hot dogs and those kind of things a lot of stuff's more expensive looking at what's happening with the uh with the beef market you know this inflationary stuff we've been talking about here um as you look at box beef and those kind of things and where they've where they've come from and what they're doing you know they're they're sliding back too in price it's feeling some of that recessionary scare as well. What, as you look at those kind of things, what do you see happening there, Sean? Well, you know, beef, um, when the economy was good and inflation was the story, we had herd liquidation and a, and a lot of supply continuing to come to the market, which kept the market, you know, kept it back. Now we're starting to shift gears and we're starting to have that herd liquidation subside. We're starting to have lower weights. We're starting to have animal retention. So the supply is now starting to dry up significantly, but certainly the demand, at least for the high end of the market, uh, you know, uh, is, is, is starting to slow down. I'm not sure $10 for a picnic of, you know, I don't know how many people they're referring to, but, you know, a family that's going out for a picnic, I'm not sure $10 is going to prevent them from buying ground beef necessarily, but certainly the high end of the beef market I think there's some demand destruction going on. 
Um, so that's holding the market back for now because they were still more worried about their, their lack of demand than the lack of supply. We did get a Catalan feed number, Casey, this last week for the first time that wasn't bearish, meaning we've had month after month after month of extremely bearish Catalan feed reports. This was the first one that I would say was neutral to bullish of neutral for the first time, I mean, in months. So I think that's a, a, a turning point that we're going to see much more bullish and potentially widely bullish Catalan fee reports in the, in the future. And I think it's going to take a series of those reports to convince the market that the supply will be insufficient enough that even against lower demand, we have a supply demand imbalance and we need to go higher. So I still think it might take a few more months for the market to become convinced of that. doesn't mean the market goes lower now, Casey. I think it's more of a sideways kind of a trade after the reversal we had a few weeks ago. But I think the market's going to want some convincing to, to, like I said, to overcome this fear. And I think they're going to get it. But it's probably going to take a few months to get them comfortable with that and or something's going to have to change, as we said, with other, these other factors to change the sentiment out there right now. Well, all right. So let's talk a little bit about the hog market we see happening there. Well, you know, what I'm really focused on is, you know, when is China really going to reopen mm -hmm. and get those four, three, four, five hundred million people back? You know, spending money again. Um, you know, it's hard to know what the truth is in China. You always hear so much stuff, and but it 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 does seem like they're starting to see zero COVID uh, in certain areas, and they're starting to uh, kind of open up a little bit. I wouldn't call it an outright opening, but it looks like they might be get you know st starting the process of getting themselves reopened again. If they do, you know, then the exports for pork are, are going to start to take off because the Herd liquidation from the second round of African swine fever over there is over. The hog price in China is on the rise, showing a shortage. And uh, if they get people back on the streets buying stuff again, as we move into the fourth quarter ahead of the holiday season for them in the first quarter of 23, you know, we need exports to come back to get the pork market uh, going again. And I think, once again, I'm not, I, don't, I think it's going to take a couple of months to convince people that China is really back and they're really reopened and they're really going to be doing that. But I think, you know, once again, that that's going to come, but we probably need a couple of months of convincing to get there to override this lack of exports to them while we're worried about the overall economic picture here domestically. Right on. All right. So looking at a few other things out there, Sean, this heat that you've talked about here and you, you talked about it last last time as you kind of looking at that, that first half of July, what you see happening there. Um, we're looking at some pretty extreme heat again. I mean, we've, we've got we had a little abbreviment, you know, over the weekend. We were down in the 70s, you know, and it shot right back up here. I think yesterday we hit about 100, and you know, the day before that we were 95 or something like that. And it's going to continue to see that same pattern across there, somewhere in the 90s in these, in the, you know, the corn belt and in the wheat belt and those kind of things. Looking at a couple things here. So looking at obviously, you know, wheat harvest is going on right now. Heat is good for wheat harvest. That makes makes things go a little bit smoother. Looking at that, as you look at the wheat harvest, Sean, are you hearing anything different uh, about where guys are at now compared to what you heard last week? I don't really, I, ha I haven't heard anything, you know, materially different from in terms of, you know, we know the production's down a lot. Sure. We know the crop is awful and, or at least ha was awful in certain spots, but I don't think there's a surprise there. In terms of the heat, the heat's definitely coming back. Um, and what I think it's very interesting, this whole bearish period, was not because we had an abundance of moisture. It's because we had cooler temperatures the last few weeks. Cool and dry can keep the crop going. 
hot and dry, you have trouble. So we had, it's not like we've had copious amounts of rains. Right. We've had what I would call just enough in just enough areas to keep it going kind of stuff, which means many areas are one hot week of, dry, of hot dry away from having what we call a flash drought. You know, where you just get, a, get move into a, a kind of flash drought very, very quickly mm-hmm. if the rains don't continue to just fall in time. So that's really the issue going into mid-July is can we continue this uh, spotty rainfall that just continues to d- deliver right where it needs to, when it needs to, uh, because it has to. Any areas that miss with the heat coming in now into mid-July are, are going to see these flash droughts. And so my... You know, we've been saying all along that we, we felt the best opportunity for a weather scare would be this first half of July into mid-July. That was our best opportunity to fu- see some of this happen where enough areas miss the rains. We got enough deterioration in crop conditions. Like last week, we saw crop conditions, you know, I wouldn't say fall dramatically, but fall. So um, so that's really going to be the, the key as to whether the markets are have a short-term bottom end. Um, of course, we have tomorrow's report too, Casey, as you know, the acreage report, quarterly grain stocks report. Uh, we have to definitely trade that, whatever that says, uh, first, and then we reset the bar with those figures, and then we trade the weather thereafter. So so right now, the mission of the market is trade acres and quarterly grains to, to determine what adjustments you need to make from that, and then trade the weather thereafter. Our best guess still is Whatever happens tomorrow happens, but that the opportunity for a weather scare in mid-July is still on the table. Uh, but we want to emphasize we think it's a scare, not a crop problem in, in aggregate, and which means that, that it would be kind of a more of a garden variety, you know, couple of week rally, short-lived, you know, but and that something that farmers would want to cash sell into, um, you know, not something that would actually create um, a new bull market on a crop problem. At least that's how we we're seeing things right now and we're still comfortable with that forecast. Okay. So I ask you to get your crystal ball out here a little bit and take a look at, take a look at something. So as you're looking at the price of fuel right now, and obviously we're going through harvest and some, you know, most people, a lot of people have had, uh, you know, pre-purchased uh, their fuel and diesel and those kind of things going into that. As you start looking at the pre-purchasing of, of inputs going into 23, and as you take a look at what you see with energy right now, what are your thoughts there? And if the price of, of corn is going to come back down, like you've talked about to that, you know, five to $6 range or whatever the number is that it comes out at, what are your thoughts there? And how do you, how do you see the price of inputs correlating with, with corn and those kind of things? You know, I always say that uh, the input companies can only sell at a level that the farmer can afford. Right. So, you know, so when corn prices come down, magically seed prices come down, Shocking. fertilizer prices come down, yeah. you know, and so then, you, they, they, then the question is, well, why did you raise the price to begin with? You know, why, if you have the real, you know, you know, the farmer is a tube of toothpaste and the market only allows them to get so much out for themselves and then they just take the rest. And I don't mean this sinisterly, that's just the way the market is. Right. So the, the seed companies, the fertilizer companies, you know, they see, oh, okay, we went from $3 corn to $8 corn or $7 corn. Well, the pot's bigger. We're just going to get a bigger share of it because we can get away with it. Um, and uh, so, so the, the answer is if we do get 5 or $6 corn again later this summer, you know, inputs are going to fall because farmers won't be able to afford to pay the price that they're currently being offered. Already we're seeing, for example, fertilizer prices come down 
pretty substantially here yeah. over the last 30 days. I mean, if you look at a chart, you know, I mean, we're certainly not back to where we were before, but I mean, we've had a significant shortfall and I'm not sure what really changed other than, you know, the corn price starting to fall, you know, everyone's starting to get bearish commodities and all, and, and all of a sudden the fertilizer producers are saying, Hey, wait a minute, you know, we better, we better get some sales booked here. <laughs> right. You know? Yep. So it's just interesting how, uh, how quickly a, Shortage is never going to come down, you know, you know, until all of a sudden we have plenty of fertilizer around. You know, it's just, it's just a, an interesting example of how quickly the market sentiment can change based upon what's being discussed, um, you know, in the narrative. So, yep. so you have, uh, you know, all these countries are still calling for this Ukrainian grain to get out of Ukraine so they can bring it out. I haven't really seen anything that, sh- that shows that that's, hap- that's going to happen anytime in, in the future, um, in the near future anyway. Um, I guess when you're looking at markets' reactions to those news clips and stuff you see out there when it comes to corn, wheat, soybeans, and sunflower oil, those kind of things, what do you, what are your thoughts there? I mean, obviously you, you've got a a lot of things have to change before that can even move. So I guess what what are your thoughts there? You know, the, the, the market is driven by um, excitement to the upside. Mm-hmm. and worried to the downside. It's energy. You can only trade a news story for so long, and then people just don't care about it anymore, regardless right. if it's changed or not. I mean, it, it, there's, there's a lifeline. There's a fuse to every story, either bullish or bearish. You can only trade it for so long. And I just think that nobody really – I mean, I care about it because I care about you know the, 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 those that are not able to feed the families and people that are on the edge and I mean it's a, it's a humanitarian side that I care deeply about it but I don't think the market cares about it anymore it, it's the situation is what it is the market's adjusting it has adjusted and they're just the market's just kind of moving on it doesn't mean that we won't come back to it at some point if there's a new development that really is different uh, than what we already know but what I kind of feel like we're in suspended animation with this Ukraine situation, meaning nothing's really happening. There's a lot of talk, a lot of meetings, but the situation is almost like in a state of stasis. It's just in stasis is not going to get the market more bullish. Right. Or more in my view, and generally speaking, if you get bored, you sell. If you're a bull and you start getting bored, that there's nothing going on, or even in a stock, you start, you just say, you know what, I'm going to sell. I'm a trader. So I think in order for, the Ukraine situation to reignite bullish activity in ag markets, we need something to happen to shake the market up, to give them a different narrative than, well, it's just, it is what it is. Nothing's happening and nothing's going to happen. And we're just going to just, 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 we're just going to keep monitoring it. I mean, that's where I feel we're at now. Now, of course, you know, Russia is about to harvest what appears to be an all time record wheat uh, winter wheat crop. You know, they can sell, they will sell. And I think right now the market's going to be more, I think they're going to be more focused on what they can count on versus what they can't count on. Who I don't know what's going to happen with Ukraine, if anything, but I do know that the Russia is going to harvest that wheat crop as fast as they can. And I believe they're going to sell it as fast as they can. I mean, I think they just were forced to default uh, this week on some of the debt that they had. So they clearly need some capital. And, um, um, and I think that's really the, that's really what the market's going to focus on for now. The shortage should it occur on Ukraine if they if, if next year they're not able to grow anything, you know that'll be a, a big catalyst 
for another time. I just don't think it's right now. There's, there's just too much fresh supply coming into the winter wheat market right now for the Ukraine story that's gone stale to really make, uh, you know, to make other than maybe short-term volatility on a day-to-day basis that doesn't really have any gravity to it, that doesn't really have any sticking to it. And that's what we're seeing. You get a little blip and then the market just fades because it's just, it's really nothing new. It's really nothing new. All right. right. Good stuff, man. Okay. Well, I want to ask you one more question and get your opinion on it. And I think that'll probably wrap it up. So read some articles, listened to some podcasts over the weekend and there was some talk, you know, they're talking about how well have the sanctions worked against against uh, Russia in the first hundred days that of these sanctions, um, Putin made ninety seven billion dollars in in oil transactions and um, and then you know look at countries like China and India which have been buying a lot of that oil from them their their prices of fuel and those kind of things have come down dramatically because they're they're getting a, a cheap oil because Putin again is just like you said, whatever revenue they can generate as fast as they can get it. Looking at that situation there in India, for example, and you start looking at you know, how that's going to impact what you see out from a market perspective, what are your thoughts there and how do you think that correlates with that? I always look at these things that unless you have universal adoption of sanctions, the supply will get out, right. meaning... meaning Okay, so if you don't sell to the U.S. and you don't sell to Europe, you'll sell to India, you'll sell to China, and the supplies are still going to be get out. So, which does not prevent Russia from bringing money in. Just means it's the money's not coming from us. Now, maybe someone would view that as a a success that we're not funding uh, you know, Russia from our purchases of crude or our purchases of whatever, but but the supply is still getting out. It doesn't change the fact that they're still getting money in, and maybe they're selling it a little bit cheaper. But the, but so that so have the sanctions actually work? No, they haven't. Sanctions work if they. I think the idea of the sanctions, the idea of sanctions in general, is that you want to choke off money to whoever you are not feeling is worthy, and that will create that country to go into a crisis with which. Um, they'll be forced to come to the table and agree to something that, that, that those that impose the sanctions in the first place wanted. Well, I don't see that that's been successful because if you, didn't, if you don't get China and India to also do sanctions, then right. it doesn't, it's, not, it's not actually hurting Russia. If they're getting the money, they're continuing to sell the oil, and, and, then, and, and on, on we go. And in fact, the only thing that I can see is that it actually might have hurt Western economies more by creating higher energy prices short term than we would have otherwise seen. So I'm really not aware of sanctions working for that exact reason, because you never, ever can get the whole world to agree to anything. Right. Um, and so and then another topic, you know, is, um, you know, we're trying to, you know, it, it, if the intent is to reduce CO2 in the atmosphere, which is what the goal of many uh, governments is, if you don't prevent China from, or if China's not on board and they're continuing to consume coal at record levels and continuing to spew CO2 at, at record levels and it continues to grow over a year, then if you don't get them to adopt that policy, then, it, then the policy can't possibly work. And all your, so, so that, once again, anything that you do without full adoption, you can't get the result that you're looking for. 
And so I think that's the real, the realistic view of the global economy is that yes, there are people that are friends and will go together, but there's also enemies that won't go together. And so trying to impose a global policy on the world is virtually impossible outside of some kind of a world war where at some point somebody becomes the victor and then can impose the rules, which right. is what history has been full of is world war. Somebody wins and the winner says, okay, now we won. Now you guys have to do what we tell you to do. That's the only way you get broad submission right. that I'm aware of looking at history. And I don't mean to paint like this dark picture, but I, the answer is of course, sanctions haven't worked. Yep. Of course they've not worked. Yep. Yeah. I was, I was, I don't know if shock's the right word or not, but it was because rarely do things work the way the government intends them to work. So I just, you know, saw that and I was like, and that's really, why, why other, wouldn't, it, go ahead. Yeah, the, the other thing that, that longer term, that I, at least I think about, um, you know, if the dollar is, is supposed to be this safe reserve currency that everybody uses to trade, right? Mm-hmm. And you've shown that if the United States doesn't like somebody, they're going to cut off um, funding, you know, take them off the grid, shall we say, then I think every country is going to think twice now about having their entire reserve in the U.S. dollar longer term. I mean, they're going to say, wait a minute, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they're going to be coming after us the next time. You know, maybe we're going to be the ones they don't like and they cut us off from the U.S. dollar funding. Um, so maybe we need to just have some diversification of our reserves, whether that means you own gold or you own silver or you own some other currencies or Bitcoin. You know, I'm not, I'm just, I just, I think it's not healthy for the U.S. dollar reserve system for the people who own it to feel at any moment they can be cut off because we don't like them. I just, yep. I think that sets the wrong precedent uh, because it's viewed that it's actually, you know, not a safe place to be. Um, because it's not actually a free-flowing currency. It, it's a currency at the privilege of the United States, you know, allowing you to, to trade in it. And I think that that overall persona or that overall view is, is not a good thing in the long run and, and might actually hurt the U.S.'s purchasing power in the long run if, if the world diversifies away from the U.S. dollar because it's afraid that they may be the target next time. Yep. It's, just, it's just an interesting, as you said, the law of unintended consequences. Um, sometimes you know you do one thing, but but there's other things that happen that you weren't thinking about that make things actually much much worse. Yep. So yeah, and, you know, two things. You know, why wouldn't China and India take advantage of, of cheap energy? Right. I mean, especially those two places. That's uh, you know you got what have you got? One point five billion people in China and one point three billion people in India, or whatever the numbers are. So. Ha almost half the world's population between those two countries. And then on top of that, the other kind of factor in all this too is that they're paying for all that oil in rubles. So, I mean, it's, it's, that's, a, that's another thing when you talk back to your, your you know, reserve currency uh, comment there. I mean, so it's a, it's a big well, Remember, Russia is now not settling their crude purchases in U.S. dollars, you know, which yep. has always been the standard. Um, yep. And and now you know the Middle East is now allowing uh, settlement in, in some transactions and not U.S. dollars, and so so all this is is kind of shifting the U.S. dollar hegemony to something different, almost yeah. kind of a bipolar world where um, the U.S. dollar has a place, but it's not the uh, 
the, the universal place. And, and it, you know, right now we have a strong dollar and it's not impacting things in terms of, you know, that sort of thing. But, but you know, currency is a, long, a long-term game. And I think we might find a few years down the road that what happened over the last year, you know, will come back um, in a way that might be very unpleasant for, um, for the U.S. And I, and I worry about that. I worry about that. Not that that's going to hurt the value of agricultural commodities, by the way, actually agricultural commodities in a weakening dollar environment and a, you know, would actually, you know, do quite well. But I just worry about the overall uh, purchasing power of the yeah. average U.S. citizen and what it means for, you know, the standard of living, what it means for, you know, the economy as a whole. I, you know, for, for agriculture, you know, for, for what we're here to talk about, it actually probably be really good for farmers because they'd have an asset that would appreciate. But, you know, I try to look at, you know, big picture things too. And I don't want everyone to fall by the wayside just because agriculture is doing well. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, exactly. I get it, but yeah. I mean, you know, I want everyone to kind of, you know, be rewarded for, yeah. for the system we have, not just, you know, I win, you lose kind of a scenario, yep. you know? Absolutely. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is that you're doing on Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. As you know, Casey, we have a lot of different things on there that go over our work to see if how we look at things in agriculture can be a value to those that are listening and watch your program. All right, man. Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks, Casey. Love, love, it, love, to, love to do it always. So. Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the YouTube channel, Moving Iron Podcast uh, YouTube channel. Make sure you check that out. You see the video version of what we're doing here. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Moving Iron and what we have going on there, go to movingironllc.com. You get the complete library of the Moving Iron podcast, all the blog posts, as well as all the information from the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. That will be uh, rapidly coming up here. Sean's going to be there talking about the same stuff uh, that we talked about here. I just posted one, Moving Iron podcast number 270, where we Sean goes over some of his updates on his uh, natural climate cycle and what that looks like and uh, so if you're interested in learning more about that and, and get more in depth into what that podcast kind of comes around come to the moving iron podcast listen to sean talk and, and you'll uh you'll get your mind blown i promise so check that out so with that i am casey seymour with sean hackett let's go move some iron folks out axon tire is going to have more tips tricks and client advice throughout the year and in september at the moving iron summit in nashville if you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century Hardworking people working hard for you and me Moving iron time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving iron